Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. 1 John. So if you have a copy of your Bible, we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. We're going to be actually talking about love this morning. And I don't know about you, but I love music. Uh, all kinds. Blues, rhythm and blues, rock, classical, etc. All of these types of music, I think, have a pretty common denominator, especially modern music, and that is a lot of, fo- a lot of folks like to sing about love. Uh, you know, what it means, I think, is about as broad as the various types of genres uh, that I just mentioned, uh, because a lot of folks define love in very personal and subjective ways. Um, I think perhaps you've heard of a few. Uh, I grew up listening to oldies with my dad, so uh, a lot of like the, the Beatles, like Can't Buy Me Love, uh, or perhaps you remember yesterday, Love Was Such an Easy Game to Play. Now it seems to, I guess, have gone away. Oh, you know, yesterday. You know, I guess you, perhaps you've some of those heard some of those songs, but I, I do like listening uh, to kind of what people have to say about love and, and how they sort of conceptualize it. Uh, some of them are kind of funny and odd, like I believe Roxette once saying, it must have been love, but it's over now, as though perhaps she could conceptualize what love was, but somehow it's lost, like change in the sofa. I don't, I don't know exactly how you understand that, but it, it seems more of like a, an ethereal feeling. Uh, so for many of us, love is more of an emotion, albeit a strong one, that sort of ebbs and flows sometimes it just goes away. So I think it'd be wise to ask the question of what love is before we think about what it feels like. And this morning we're going to be looking at John's first epistle, which is a really a remarkable section. It's actually one of my favorite passages that clearly offers us just helpful consideration as to what love is, and really offers us, I think, um, a clarification and a definition uh, in light of God's love for us through the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. So, would you please look with me in verse 7? Uh, He begins here, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It really is an exhortation. I I don't think a lot of people, even if you're not a Christian, would disagree too strongly with this section, uh, because really, John is actually uh, quoting uh, from the mouth of Jesus. John uh, John is quoting directly from John chapter 13, uh, where Jesus actually says, after he washes disciples' feet, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so, as we begin here, we need to consider that this actually, uh, this encouragement is actually directly from the mouth of Jesus, that we might love one another, uh, just as Jesus has loved us. And so there's something about God's love that's revealed or manifests in the way we express it to, to others. So uh, I guess we could just have to help differentiate. Uh, the love that we have for one another is a sort of a lateral or horizontal love, whereas the love that God offers us is sort of a vertical love. And as we receive the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, it's meant to be manifest in the way we love outwardly towards other people. And that is uh, the way the church reveals uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world is through its love and self-sacrifice. And so, love really is one of the identifiers that you've been born into the kingdom of God. If you recall, I think, um, in 
John 3, uh, I'll be quoting a little bit from John here, when um, Nicodemus came to, God, came, came to Jesus and asked him what being born again was like. And Jesus, Jesus said that a man must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what, he, what Jesus really meant was, you must believe in what I have accomplished for you, or what I'm going to accomplish for you, uh, in my death and resurrection, and I will purchase you into a new life, a new relationship with Jesus Christ that offers you a salvation and a grace and a new way of thinking and living, and really just a, a, a whole new worldview. And so, so what is love? Uh, you know, uh, John here says in verse 8 that if we don't love, we don't know the love of God, which is exactly what Jesus had said uh, just if, in, in John's gospel. Oftentimes in the church, we talk about love, again, as though it were a feeling that God has for us, uh, or some kind of experience that we have, perhaps in the midst of singing, or, or talking about a psalm, or in the midst of a sermon. But it's often, we, I guess we talk about it as though it's something we really hoped that God feels for us, but maybe we can't necessarily explain exactly what it is. As in, let's not get too specific, because we're likely to get lost. And see, part of the confusion I think that many of us have is we start with our feelings, and then we work backwards to our understanding of the concept of what love is, rather than asking the question, what is love, particularly in light of God's grace, and then assessing our feelings in light of the truth that Scripture seems to bring to bear. And so I have been struggling with this. I, I think, you know, myself, I've been struggling to communicate to, with this to my son. I have a three-year-old son uh, who is a rather precocious child. Uh, I noticed there's some children around here. Um, and I've been trying to communicate him what love is. So I say to him all the time, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'm, and I'm trying to, you know, express it to him in light of Scripture. Jesus loves you, I love you. And, um, and I think his, I'm not sure exactly how well he understands it yet. You know, he just turned three. Um, but he first appropriated the word a few weeks ago while we were in a toy store. And he stated to me, I really, really, really love toys, Daddy. <laughs> and we happened to be in the clearance section of the toy store and I looked around and I realized we were surrounded by ponies and puzzles and I thought years of trying to communicate this concept to the boy and, and, and he communicates his ineffable love for ponies and puzzles not exactly what I was hoping for uh, in my communication of love uh, to my son well needless to say it was a very deep moment uh, a little time of bonding for the two of us but as Christians it's important to consider where love comes from its origin and source. So when we say something as bold as God is love, as we read in, in verse 8, or that we are to love one another as a manifestation of, of God's love for us, we must first consider that we must, or more than likely, are projecting some of our own misconceptions on God. As we all have a sort of diversified view of what God is, just perhaps just like the musicians uh, that sing about it do. So when we say God is love, most of us think somehow that love is a somehow an adjective to describe how God is, like Mike is nice or Mike is friendly. But what we actually mean is that love is an attribute that's only understood in light of who God is, as in God alone is love. No one else can take on this identifier. It's, it's a bit like saying uh, Barack Obama is presidential, right? Uh, people can, can give an address that sounds presidential or you know, articulate or what, what have you, but Barack Obama alone is the president, right? So he alone can take on this identifier. And the same is true for God. God alone is the source of love everywhere. Every story from, I guess, Romeo and Juliet to Titanic or, or whatever common stories that we know from popular culture all have an idea of love that really is rooted in the self-sacrificial love that God has shown us 
in and through Jesus Christ. He is the one who establishes our understanding on the topic. And we, we will, as we're going to see, he's the only one that manifests it truly to us. And so in a way, uh, just to borrow another metaphor, I feel like when we talk about love, we have to use a lot of metaphors and stories. And so I'll be using a few of those uh, today just because I think that's, that's how we as humans uh, best understand love. But it's a bit like a ray of sunshine, and I don't mean to be sappy here, but sunshine radiates from the sun. The sun provides the light that makes sunshine. So our understanding of light and the sun's rays is predicated upon the fact that the sun is actually producing light. And the same is true of our understanding of love as well. God is the one who radiates love. And so anything, any of the stories that we have, all have their beginning and conceptualization in our understanding of the fact that God himself is the one who authors love, who is love. And so... I guess it would be helpful then, to, as, as we continue, to, to look to how Scripture defines love so that we can then uh, allow the truth of what love is to then sort of uh, appeal to and help us understand how we experience it. And so, uh, in verse 9 and 10, I think we have just a gold mine uh, in terms of how we understand the love of God uh, as it's offered to us. And so, and so we continue in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, what we see here is that God's love is manifested and begins in Jesus Christ. When we think of the love that all the writers of the epistles have in mind, what we, what we begin with is our understanding is the fact that Jesus entered into our broken and sinful world with the expressed purpose of calling to himself us, a people who he desired to show his love and grace even while we were yet sinners. See, he had this in mind even before he took, he took on flesh, when he was born in, as a little baby, aware of the fact that he was coming uh, and entering humbly to go through extreme hardship and suffering to manifest his love for us. See, Jesus knew what he was coming for. He, ahead of time, recognized that he would have to go to the cross to redeem us, despite the fact that none of us wanted him or desired him in the first place. See, if you think about it, Jesus knows he's stepping into the world to get the short end of the stick. He knew that the world would not love him, even though he was going to die for her. We know from Philippians 2 that Jesus had everything he could ever want in his perfect union with the Father, and yet he chose to empty himself and humble himself for his people. Next, to borrow a metaphor, it's as if a king was about to marry an uneducated prostitute with no family who couldn't carry on a very good conversation, and this king says, yeah, basically I want to do this, and that's us. That's, that's the purpose uh, of, of John's you know, discussion here in terms of recognizing that Jesus is coming into the world despite everything that you and I are going to do or ever going to do, uh, despite the fact that we, you know, to be perfectly honest, none of us does a great job at loving God back. God, in, even aware of all of these things, is going to say, I'm going to come to redeem you. You who were once far off, I'm going to bring near through the blood of Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse 13. I think, I think what's, what's remarkable about the, the fact is, is that uh, we all come this morning with a lot of struggles. And if, perhaps if you're like me, maybe even some failures. 
And despite what we're doing or what we're feeling this morning, whatever purpose we came here with, we know that God also has a purpose in bringing us here to manifest his love to you and to me through Jesus Christ. And if you remember the sun metaphor earlier, God's love, which is a lot like the sun, is shining on you whether you acknowledge it or not. We often don't think about the, the, the light of the sun. It happens all the time, and so we tend to take it for granted. And I think often as Christians, we do the same thing with God's love. We sometimes are over-familiar familiar with talking about it, and so we forget that God's love is just as steadfast on you or in terms of it's, it's God's affection for you when you aren't aware of it as when you are. And that's really, that's really remarkable to, in terms of just showing his faithfulness to us in spite of the fact that we're not always very faithful to him. So how, but how do we know this? He's going to continue in verse 10, and we see this. God, uh, in verse 10, he says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This word, propitiation, I'm sure uh, Henry, uh, or Father Jansman, as you call him, what do you call, do you call him, by the way? Do you call him... Henry, good, Henry. Okay, Phil, Henry, good. This all works, good. Uh, man after my own heart, good. Uh, well, when Henry, uh, I'm sure, has communicated this, but propitiation, though we don't use it, really, really means that Jesus is going to satisfy the problem that we have with God on account of our sinfulness and brokenness. See, we've all, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us you know, in our own way. And the Lord has laid upon Jesus all of our iniquity, all of our sin, He's taken all of the shame that we've endured. He's taken all of the the brokenness that we've experienced, all of our evil thoughts that we think of when no one else is is, is around. All of those things have have been placed on Jesus so that God now sees us as he sees Jesus, his son. If you recall, when Jesus is baptized, the heavens open up. And God says of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, in taking our sin upon himself, then invites us to receive that same reception from God the Father. So God now says of each of us, this is my beloved daughter or son in whom I am well pleased because Jesus has accomplished for you a righteousness that you could not earn on your own. He was willing to lay down his life and become nothing, that you might have everything in Christ. And this is what a propitiation is, to to appease the problem of God's justice, where God, even though he was perfectly loving, does not in any way negate his justice or the fact that he is good and fair. And because of these things, uh, all of our sins, all of our problems need to be dealt with. And Jesus is willing to take upon all of those things, all of our sins upon himself. See, we see, we see then that Jesus' purpose and goal culminate in one crucial act, where on the cross at Golgotha, he would lay down his life for his people, reconciling us to the God who created us and manifesting his love through his own willingness to suffer and bleed so that we might know the love of God and turn away from our isolated selfishness. See, this is the center of the Christian faith. This is the message of the gospel, that God's Son, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, brings us into the light of his love. And I think what's, what's, be- what's beautiful, if you think about this, uh, this re- redeeming love that Jesus offers to us through his death uh, upon the cross, is really all of the great stories of love uh, 
deal with uh, either the male or the female uh, being willing to lay down their lives for the one who is the object of their affection. And I mentioned earlier, kind of, I guess, kind of jokingly, like, t- like the movie Titanic, which is an enormously popular movie, um, or even uh, some of the old, old movies like um, uh, Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, uh, or uh, Romeo and Juliet, which I guess William Shakespeare, though I guess they say he kind of copped it off an Italian guy. Uh, we don't know. But the point is, is all of the great stories of love deal with uh, someone's willingness to offer everything for the sake of revealing their love to the object of their affection. And I think, I think there's, there's something about those kinds of stories that all sort of uh, draw back to the fact that, that God himself was willing to send his own son, Jesus, to, to lay down his life, to offer everything uh, so that we might become his children, God's children. And in fact, uh, as we come to understand that, I think we're then given a power uh, through the Holy Spirit then to take that love and then to love others in the same way that we've been loved. And the reality is, is let's be honest, we're not all great at loving one another all the time. I'm, I'm married, uh, and for those of you who are married, uh, I think uh, spouses often reveal that you're not as good at loving folks as, as you wish you were. Uh, I could tell you, uh, you know, probably oceans of stories of my own failures. Uh, but the reality is, is that both my wife and I, when we fail, and I, and I fail off, my son has actually been taken to, uh, to identifying some of my failures now. He can, he can now detect anger in my voice, and he'll say, hey, Dad, are you angry? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm, all right, I need to go repent. Anyway, but the, the, the point is, <laughs> is, is that oftentimes uh, we struggle to love one another well. And, the, and though we may be well-intentioned, we still struggle because we're all hindered by our own sinfulness. And I think if we just have an appropriate look at ourselves, we can acknowledge that we're weak from time to time. But what's remarkable about what John is is encouraging us with here is that if we stop, as we're doing today in worship, and consider the love of Christ, which has been given to us despite everything we've done (laughs) to the contrary, we're then given an opportunity I think to draw from that love and that mercy and that grace to then express it to other people, perhaps sometimes when uh, they don't deserve it and sometimes we receive it when we don't deserve it. But that is, I think, the love of God manifest in the body of believers that we are able then to receive sort of vertical love of God and then manifest it in the way we love other people. And I think that is is what is really separates Christianity from all other religions, is this, this grace and this mercy and this willingness of our God to lay down his life for his people, which is completely different from any other religion or, uh, or set of ideas or philosophies. And so this love then is meant to shape us, uh, and oftentimes it's in the suffering of loving other people who may not love us back that we have to draw deeper and deeper into the mystery of this gospel message. And I think for many of us, we work with coworkers or uh, neighbors or uh, folks around us that challenge our ability to love those people. And I think if we're all honest, we probably, you know, you're probably thinking of one or two of those people now. I've got three or four in my mind. Uh, but the, the point is, is the only way we're able to love those people is not, not by somehow drumming up an emotional sort of melee of, of feeling so that we can say, well, I'll try to love that person. No, it's actually sitting back and pondering the riches of God's grace for us 
in the love of Jesus Christ and then allowing that love by the power of the Holy Spirit to change the way we think and feel about other folks. But it's important that we not begin with our feelings. We begin with the truth of the gospel, the truth of the love of Christ that then is meant to shape the way we think and feel about other people. And that is uh, how then we are called to, uh, to love other people. See, and, and that, that's why I think John continues in verse 11. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us and sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, we then also ought to love one another. None of us has seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is then perfected in us. See, as Christians, as we abide, as we press into and embrace the love of God as we see in Jesus Christ, what we find is God is in the process of transforming us more and more and more into the image of the one we worship. And, and I think particularly in those hard seasons, we forget. Uh, or maybe, sometimes I guess we perceive then in, in hard seasons where loving other people is difficult, we feel as though maybe God is distant from us or that, um, that loving people is too hard and then we, we maybe want to alienate or, or move away from those people. I think, I think we all have that temptation. But what God is calling us to remember is, then, is that even when we push God away, even, even though all of us uh, in various seasons of our life have shied away from God because we didn't want to uh, either acknowledge our own sinfulness or, or acknowledge or embrace the love of Christ, it's important to remember that Jesus' posture towards all of us is always one of moving towards us. Jesus never shrinks away from us. His heart, his affection, his desire is always moving towards us. And he, and he revealed it in his willingness to go to the, to the depths of, of death itself in order to redeem us from the consequences of sin, which is death. And in overcoming death, he offers to give us a new life, a life that's filled with love and grace and mercy so that we then can manifest that message of the gospel, that message of Christ's love for us to the world around us. And we live in a world that doesn't have much of that. I think more and more we're becoming cynical and hopeless. I think people, particularly in my generation and younger, are becoming more cynical about the idea of love or even the idea of marriage because they can't conceive of what love really is. And that cynicism hides a fear that maybe love doesn't really exist. I think that's what we see uh, in, in a lot of younger folks, which is why a lot of younger folks aren't getting married anymore. But as we, as we actually, as we celebrate this grace that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, through our worship, through our time together, through our singing, we actually uh, manifest this, this unique love to the rest of the world in a way that's actually encouraging and inviting so that people might consider this, the fact that Jesus died for them also. I, I titled this sermon after a jazz piece. I listen to jazz while I write sermons. It's kind of just a thing I do. I don't know why. Um, but there's, there was a, an artist by the name of John Coltrane who has a great um, album called A Love Supreme. And he wrote the album as a hymn. He wasn't a particularly religious man, I don't think. But, um, but later in his life, I think he recognized that music was an expression of love from a God that he thought was probably there, uh, but, but that he felt that he needed to respond to in the form of a song. He actually called it a hymn or a song, 
which is interesting because there really aren't any words in the, in, the, in the piece except for when he says a love supreme in the beginning. But the point is, is that uh, even though he did not uh, know the love of Christ, there was something in his heart that was, that was begging uh, to, to find a God that really loved him. And I think there's something in all of our hearts that has this yearning, but that's only satisfied when we consider the fact that Jesus is the one who is willing to pursue us in our brokenness, in our sin. And, and our response, like this album uh, by John Coltrane, is then to, to sing hymns of adoration and praise, uh, to respond by celebrating, worshiping, and valuing this love. And as we do, I think we'll find that, um, that we're actually transformed as a community. You all, as a community, will be transformed more and more into the Savior, uh, into an image of the Savior as we grow in the, in the love and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it really is an encouragement. It's, as, you, as, you, as you think this week, as you go home this week, I just encourage you that regardless of what you feel, regardless of whether or not you are happy or lonely or sad or whatever you're feeling, none of those feelings change God's affection and His, and his love for you because it's rooted in a true historical fact that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And so then we see, uh, I think, um, we sang a song earlier uh, by Wesley. I think, it, was it Wesley earlier, um, uh, Phil, that we sang this morning? Yeah. And can it be? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and Wesley closes by saying, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And that, I think, was the hymn of, of Charles Wesley's life. And I think that shaped the, the way he lived from that moment onwards. The song really is a song about his conversion. And I would encourage you just to consider that this week. And can it be uh, that, that I should gain an interest in the Father's love? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? What a beautiful, beautiful, true message that, that John is offering us this, this afternoon. <laughs> it's, it's afternoon, I keep forgetting. But may God give us grace to embrace this and allow this to shape our lives together. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.